Good morning, everybody. Maybe I should move that just closer. How's that? That doesn't look too far away. Hey, it's good to see you all this morning. Beautiful morning. For those of you that are joining us uh, by video, by live stream, in Grundy County or in Waverly, welcome, welcome. And, and for all of you, any of you, anywhere who are listening in, who are, who are watching, we are so glad that you are with us. We are so glad that you are with us this morning. Welcome. Uh, so this morning, it's my privilege to share a bit of vision with you. Uh, this is Vision Sunday, part two, the sequel. All right? Uh, and if you missed Jeff's teaching last week, uh, please jump on our website, YouTube, Facebook, and, and give it a listen. Uh, now, you may think, didn't we do this last year, Doug? We did. And we did it the year before that. And we'll do it again next year. Uh, because having vision is so important to us. And here's why. We define vision as an inspiring picture of a preferred future. Vision is, is seeing something somewhere that, that we are drawn towards. It's becoming something that we aren't today. It's experiencing life in a way that's not being realized right now. And you can probably feel that desire inside you, can't you? I, I know I can. We need vision. We need it in our individual lives, in our marriages. We need it as, as parents and grandparents, in our homes, in our jobs, in our relationships, in our schools, our communities. And we need it in the church, too. We have a vision for a church, a picture of the future that inspires, inspires us to move and to grow. And that's one of the key things about vision. It must inspire you. It must remind you that where you are right now isn't all there is. There's something better. There's, there's a better person you can be. You can't walk toward a vision of something unless you can honestly say that you are no longer satisfied with where you are right now. And that could be a problem for some of us. We've become immune to vision because we've either grown too comfortable with where we are or we've bought the lie that we have reached our full potential. Well, we don't want to fall into either of those traps at Orchard. We want to be inspired to move and grow and journey to a better place. Jeff shared last week about the unique vision that we have for Orchard this coming school year. We can and must be a safe place where people can come together and connect that, that lifts us up, that moves us forward so that we can live fully and that we can be a blessing to others. A safe place in a broken world, living in a troubled time. A safe place during the darkness of division and judgment. A safe place 
when we feel lost or lonely or confused. And as Jeff said, this place isn't a building. It's not a, a program. It's not an activity. It's us. It's about being a people together. It's, it's about belonging to and, and participating in something that is, that is powerful, that's, that's meaningful, that's inspiring, no matter what we face, which is exactly what God has been inviting people into from the very beginning. Here's what Paul writes in his second letter to the church in Corinth. He says, we now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. We are pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. Our great power is from God, not from ourselves. Did you hear that? Don't miss it. Remember this. Our great power is from God, not from ourselves. And for that reason, we can stand firm together. I need that encouragement because I am a fragile clay jar. And so are you. But God has placed a treasure inside of me, inside of you. His love, his grace, his power to demonstrate that he is with us and that he is for us. And the amazing thing is that it gets better and it becomes stronger when all of us fragile clay jars come together. So, what does this look like? If, if this is a picture of a preferred future, fragile clay jars joining together to be filled with God's power, how in the world do we get there? Well, I want to share with you five things that I believe we need to be, because what we do flows out of who we are. So what kind of people must we be together to move forward down this path to a better place? So I've got, I've got a list of five. Here they are. Boom. Listen, learn, love, lament, and laugh. Let's start with listen. We must become good listeners. Our world is noisy right now. There's a lot of voices screaming for our attention. 
And we're not shy about adding our own words to the mix. We have strong opinions about everything. Vaccinations, mask mandates, Afghanistan, schools reopening, immigration, racism, human sexuality, global warming, why my neighbor's kids are so naughty, and what is the best way to load the dishwasher. Uh, We're happy to share our opinions with anyone, but are we listening or only speaking? See, here's the thing. Nothing ever begins with our opinions. Everything always begins with God. God is the initiator of everything good. God initiates, and that's where it begins. And that has nothing to do with you or me. It's all God's work. So the thing that we do then first is listen. We listen for what God is up to in the world, the world around us, and in people around us. We hear it in the stories others tell us. We hear it in the story that God is telling us in his Bible. So our first job is to listen. Not to act, but to listen. Not to speak, but to listen. So to get to a better place together, we need to be really good listeners. We need to hear about the good that God is doing we need to also be careful about who we're listening to. Too many times we limit our listening to those sources that only confirm our preconceived ideas of how things should be. Problem is, we get a lot of things wrong. We miss a lot of things. We need to open our ears to unlikely sources, different perspectives, People who are very different from us. God is always speaking. Listen for him. Be slow to speak. Allow the mysterious work of the Holy Spirit to surprise you in what you might hear. So, are you listening? Who are you listening to? Which leads to the second thing. Learn. We should never stop learning and changing. And that, that's really what growth is all about. That's what the journey of faith is all about. It leads us into new places that invite us to become new people. You know, too many adults fall into this trap of thinking they've got it all figured out. Wrong. We never get things figured out. Not on this side of heaven. We are broken, messy people, fragile clay jars with a very limited ability to understand the truth. But we can get better. And we'll only get better if we make a decision to grow and to change and to learn together. And it's, you know, it's not about consuming and regurgitating information. It's, it's not just about memorizing and filling in the blanks. Learning for life change comes from a humble heart that says, I don't know everything about myself and about God and about other people, and I'll be a better person if I open my ears and my eyes and I keep learning. we got to all get better at this. 
so we can see this vision realized. We must check our judgments and our perceptions and our fears at the door and be willing to be surprised by the goodness of God all around us. And if we do that, I, I think we'll build a bonfire that'll draw people toward us and create a safe place for conversation, discussion, and learning. I was listening to NPR the other day, and I heard an in interview with a, an author who studies pride and its impact in the world. And she said that to, to combat pride and selfishness, there are two things that need to happen in our culture. The powerful need to be educated, and the vulnerable need to be protected. Let me read that again. The powerful need to be educated, and the vulnerable must be protected. And I thought, well, that's what Jesus taught us. Power, powerful people must be educated. They must keep learning. And guess what? Most of the people, far majority of the people who are listening to me right now are powerful people. We have access to so much. We have our basic needs met. We live in safety with a roof over our head. We have people in our lives who care for us. We can work. We can go to school. We have money. We enjoy the freedom of making almost all of our own decisions. We are powerful. But power is dangerous when it isn't used in a good way. When power is used to protect ourselves and people that share only our interest, the vulnerable are often forgotten, cast aside, even abused. Powerful people must be learners. As a church family, we have power and influence. We must keep learning about what is true, what is good, what is worthy of our time and attention and how we can use our power and influence to bless a broken world. So are you learning? What new things are you learning about yourself, about God, and about other people? We also need love. I have grown weary of criticism when we teach about love as if we are watering down the Bible or never getting to the meat and potatoes of Christianity. That is just plain silly. Love, the way that Jesus teaches, is a very advanced concept. It's an AP or a master's class in being God's people in the world. And too often, the church is failing. When Jesus asked, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Number one, 
love God. Number two, love others as much as you love yourself. And remember, who said this? Jesus. And if we do these two things, I really believe that almost everything else will fall into place. And what does love look like? Well, this is what Paul says. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. You know, we are not lovers by nature. I'm not a lover by nature. I am selfish, prideful, and broken. Too often looking out for number one. Love is hard work, but we can get better at it together. One of our top values at Orchard is is hospitality. We say that everyone is welcome because we believe that God welcomes everyone. And because God welcomes everyone, so should we. Sounds good, right? Problem is, we usually attach an exception to that value. Everyone is welcome, except, well, you fill in the blank. We have exceptions, don't we? But God doesn't. No exceptions. He welcomes everyone. Story after story in the Bible, we see unlikely, unprepared, ill-suited, uninvited, unwashed, broken, messy, unwelcome, fragile clay jars invited into his family. Why? Because God loved them. He saw the potential for good in them. He valued them and believed everyone else would be better if they were included. We are fragile clay jars filled with the power of God, created to love every day, everywhere, and everyone. No exceptions. So who are we missing? Who are we leaving out? Who are our exceptions? And what are we missing? Because they are not here. We can and must get better at loving ourselves, others, and God. All right, still with me? Okay, two more to go. Number four is lament. In order to move forward toward, or move forward in this journey of faith toward a vision of a better way of living, we need to be able to feel sorry. We are broken, messy people who make mistakes. We sin. We fall short. And in order to grow, we must be honest about where and when we fall short. If we don't, well, we end up getting stuck because we convince ourselves it's no big deal. Or we buy, well, we bury it. 
We bury it under shame and guilt and let it poison us. So to move forward together, we've got we to be people who can feel sorrow, who grieve over our mistakes, who recognize that by ourselves we fall short. We need a Savior who can rescue us. We need a God who welcomes us just as we are, fragile clay jars, and then fills us with his power. We also need to lament as a church family. We've had a hard year. Some things we did well, and some things we didn't. We tried, but fell short too often. And I have felt a great deal of sorrow for that. I should have done better at communicating with you during the pandemic when our nation was confronted with social injustices and systemic racism, I didn't speak out soon enough or clearly enough. I haven't protected the vulnerable or educated the powerful as I could have. I got distracted by pointless cultural arguments. I ignored sensitive topics out of fear of alienating people. I didn't care for people who were hurting as well as I should have. And some days, some days, I lost confidence in God's presence, God's power, God's direction. And for all of that, I am deeply sorry. We must we can do better. We must own our weaknesses, confess our sins to God, and sometimes to each other. And God promises us that when we are weak, he is strong. What are you sorry for? Are you taking time to lament? Finally, we need to laugh. I kept this at the end because I thought this would be a good place to end. We must be people of joy. I had a, a really long, extremely full week a couple of weeks ago. I haven't felt that exhausted for a long time. In that week, we welcomed into our family our newest granddaughter, Winnie Lou. We installed a new kitchen and painted every room in her mom and dad's new house that they were moving into. Uh, we babysat her two-and-a-half-year-old big sister all week who was being potty trained and kept their rowdy lab that whole time, too, at our house. So we were sitting on the porch. Uh, it was late Thursday night with our daughter-in-law's parents who were also there that whole week uh, helping out. All the painting was done just in time to welcome Winnie home the next day. And I remember saying to Megan's dad, feels like we just had a baby. <laughs> and Chuck looked at me and he said, and bought a house too. <laughs> Our fragile clay jars were tired. And we still had a lot more to do. We felt every bit our age, but we agreed that every ache and pain in our 60 and 70-year-old bodies 
was worth it. Because we felt such joy that we were able to invest together in our kids' lives. We felt such joy that Winifred was a part of our families. We felt such joy that the four of us were friends that shared a love for each other, our kids and our grandkids. That joy and the laughter outweighed the exhaustion by a long shot. And then on Saturday, three days later, I led a funeral, a wedding, and then attended a wedding uh, at night of a dear friend. Now, did I mention I was already tired on Thursday? Uh, So at that final wedding, there was a group of friends and family members that came together to celebrate the beginning for a couple who, as Alice said that night from the front, had experienced both love lost and love scorned. And when the couple stepped into the room to walk down that short aisle together, all the guests stood just spontaneously and we erupted into applause, laughter and tears. It was was just pure unbridled joy. We couldn't help it. We were so stinking happy for them. We saw in their faces this shining excitement and and expectation and joy and it just lit a blazing fire in all of us i was surprised you couldn't see it that night from wherever you were on saturday night it was so bright so hear this in the midst of our weariness and struggle we are at the same time people of joy and laughter because god is good And he is always creating good in and around us. Always. We can't be blind to that. We must trust it. We need to share in it together. We need to tell stories to each other when we see it. Because that joy keeps our fragile clay jars from being crushed by the disappointments of the world. That joy is what gives us hope. Are you experiencing joy? Listen, learn, love, lament, and laugh. This is who we are together. This is the church. This is Orchard Hill Church. This is who we must be and who we can be together this year. So there's one question left. Why should I choose to be a part of something like this? Well, come next week to the outdoor church service, and Alice will answer that question. Let's pray. God, Thank you. Thank you for giving us everything that we need to be able to live in the best possible way. Thank you for taking the the fragile clay jars of our lives and filling them with something so very good, a treasure. 
your love, your grace, your power that gives us the ability to stand when we're pushed and when we're pressed on and when we're facing whatever big challenges and hard things that are in front of us because we know, God, that you're in control, that you are with us, that we are yours, and that we can do this together. So I pray, pray for each of us individually, but I especially pray for us as a church family that we would see you in amazing ways during this school year and that we would be able to, because of what we believe and because of what we are pursuing, that we would be able to be a blessing to so many others in this broken world. And now, God, as we stand and sing, we do so to honor you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.